0: The Conspiracy Podcast contains adult language, suggestive themes, sexual situations, and discussions of some pretty horrific events. Basically, all the good stuff. Thanks for listening. Joseph Salam, five children whose lives were irreparably changed by the New York prosecution system. Welcome to Central Park in 1989.
1: Welcome back to Conspiracy, the podcast where we discuss conspiracy theories, murder, paranormal, and this week, political injustice, which I think might be the biggest understatement of the literal century.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm one of your hosts, Liz. Hi, I'm Renee. I'm another one of your hosts.
2: I just got lost. My name's Katie. I don't know why I'm here. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm Katie. What's up? (laughs)
0: Katie doesn't get to leave until she finishes the podcast.
2: I don't. They're holding me hostage.
0: (laughs) To be fair, she tied herself up. We didn't even ask her to. She just did it. (laughs) It's been a while. I missed you guys. We didn't
1: record last week because I was sick one day, and then Mm -hmm. we got into our feelings about the case on another day, and then (laughs) life happened.
2: Oh, my God. So many emotions. Mm -hmm. I cried so much. In one week. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I don't think you have either. And I have only known you for like six years, but.
2: I don't remember like, except for after my second child was born that I cried so much. And like, I don't know what was happening. Yeah. I'm a very emotional person, but mm-hmm. when I am not that emotional, I don't cry every day, but mm-hmm. there's a lot happening.
0: Also yeah. cancer season. So true. It's just like. You just get pinched and you cry. All cancer season So me and my little cancer baby just cried together. Oh, yeah, that's right. You do have a little cancer baby. Yeah, and he turned three. So Ah! cute. Cutest baby ever. Ah. Literally. Oh, yeah. They had the, like, your two sons had a dual birthday, right? They did. And it was, um,
2: I hate planning the birthday parties. And I say every year that I don't want to do it again. But I will do it next year. But they had a blast. It was fun. Um, A lot of people came.
1: Lots of screaming children.
2: Yes. Thankfully, nobody got severely injured because we had, like, a bouncy house water slide that they were all, like, oh you know, just running each other over on, which it's fine. I I didn't watch. Everybody else watched them. I was inside <laughs> tending to the food and stuff. I was just pretending to be busy. Oh,
0: okay. You were Getting just preparing the kids as possible. I gave
2: away my parental duties because there were so many people there.
0: Literally. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, no, like... But- I That's think it's thing. Yeah, I think it's like so weird when parents just like drop their kids off and they're like, "Okay, bye. Take care of my child for me." I mean, I
2: don't care. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, it's just care another care. child that can keep my child occupied. Mm-hmm. And as long as nobody is screaming and bleeding and there's no broken bones,
0: I'm good. It's a birthday success. Yes.
1: Literally yes. the
0: opposite
1: of big little lies parenting. <laughs>
0: oh my god. <laughs> I'm not caught up yet. I'm, I'm so, so obsessed. So good though. I'm so obsessed. I I've only seen the first two episodes. I don't think I've seen the third one yet. Well, the this... third one
1: was amazing. There's only three
2: I mean the fourth one comes the on tonight, right? Tonight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay.
1: It's gonna be wild.
2: So okay. I'm assuming like there's not as many like I'm assuming it's like what six episodes the same as the first season? Because they're like moving so fast. Yeah, The it's first going season is really is only fast. Six episodes? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh my god. I mean
2: they move so fast. They go from one thing to the next to the next to the next.
0: Yeah.
2: And Meryl Streep? She's the best thing I that to the season. I love slash hate mm-hmm. her. She yes. is a bitch, but she's also, like, in some way, like, sweet mm-hmm. more, like, caring. And I get that, but she's a back to fuck off.
1: I mean, that's always been her role, <clears throat> literally. Like, mm-hmm. Death Becomes Her, Devil Wars Prada, Big Little Lies, same character, different doubt. ages. Oh, doubt. Yeah, oh, re-watched I rewatched that one recently.
0: It's intense.
1: I just watched Death Becomes Her for the first time like three months ago, and so I lived. Oh, god. I've it's so never. Good. It's I, so I haven't. Good. I
2: mean, I watched that when I was little, like mm-hmm. a child, and I haven't seen it since. It's, it's worth it so because it was so weird to me. Yes, <laughs> like, it's such the a whole weird movie. movie. Story, yes, it's, it's such
1: a Katie movie. I'm shocked you haven't rewatched it. Like there's every a day. lot of movies
2: I need to go back and watch, but because I watched you know like Rocky Horror Picture Show when I was like eight. So um, I watched a lot of movies I shouldn't have watched when I was a child. (laughs) But that's why I am the way that I am.
0: Yeah.
2: Renee, her chair
0: farted. Yep. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So I haven't told y'all yet, but sweet, wonderful Baby Scout viciously murdered a lizard this week. That's hot. Why? Why? I don't know. Zelda was playing with it. Oh, my God. <laughs> the other one was playing with Zelda it. Zelda was playing with it, and Kat, like, tried to send me a video of Zelda, like, sniffing and pawing at this lizard, and then Scout just, like, ran up and, like, grabbed it and chewed on it a little bit and then spat it out. Scout's like, watch this, Mom! Nom, nom, nom! Yeah. Was it
1: one of those tiny ones with the blue tails? Yeah,
2: it
0: was a little skink.
2: I
1: love those. I have them Cat all over Star my March. patio.
2: We were swimming in, uh, in Sean's parents' pool yesterday, and... There's like horse flies everywhere, and like that just like attack you. I can't. Look so horseflies. Sean just got two frogs that like were just chilling on the side of his parents' pool, and just put them on his head. He's just like, look
0: at me. That's a, they're so they're so chill. Like the ones that come by are our they pool the little, are like, so chill.
2: Like pale white ones. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're super. Like they're... they don't. They just want to just chill.
1: Yeah. Oh, the ones at my house are the big scary fat boys. No one's like, oh, That's why I'm oh, like. I love
0: the fat boys. No, I don't want them. We swimming had one with of those. <laughs> we had one of those too. We had one of those too. And like it was a big fat yellow one. Yeah. And like um, Zelda went up to it and just like nosed it. And it didn't move. It didn't try and hop away. It, it just like sat there and was like, oh, big orange thing is nosing me. Uh-huh. And. Like, I shoot her away because I was worried she was going to eat it because apparently my dogs are malicious murderers. Like, my oh, cat's just attacking right
2: chipmunk after chipmunk. It's fine. What? She brings us, like, di- she brings us like squirrels' heads. Dorothy is yes. insane. She will bring, and she brings, like, sometimes she gets them into the house, mm-hmm. which I'm just like, how did, why? Hmm. What's wrong with you? She loves you guys. She brings us squirrels, chipmunks, moles. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then after the party l- last weekend, I was looking out my back door and there was this huge, I mean, bigger than Dorothy, raccoon. Just like licking up extra shit that was left over from the party.
0: Good. I was just like, oh, rabies. (laughs) 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 Well, don't be friends with it, but you know.
1: Yes. My mom ran over a raccoon (sighs) once when I was probably 15, I think. And it had babies that were about to follow her across the road. And they all ran away except for one didn't know what to do. Aww. I have pictures, so we t- we kept him. Aww. His name we named him Steve, and he was like the size of my hand. And we bottle fed him, mm-hmm. and we got him a cat bed, and then we put pillows around the cat bed and put it. In my bed, so mm-hmm. we literally were like sleeping together. His favorite food was Fruit Loops, Aww. and like he would stop whatever annoying thing he was doing if you just like shook the box of Fruit Loops. <laughs> and we would like get a trail and take it outside, and he would go frolic around outside, and then he would just come back to the back door and he'd be like, already. And he would like get back on his legs and he would come inside and he would even sit under my feet at the dinner table. That's oh so my cute. gosh. And then when he was like probably eight months old, the vet thinks we put him outside mm-hmm. and my mom still feeds him and his wife and kids at the back door. Oh, oh my
0: gosh. He's got a wife and kids. That's yeah, or a me. husband. They could have adopted. I don't That's know. true. <laughs>
1: It's 2019.
0: Who knows what raccoons are doing? Should we
2: talk about the tea we're drinking?
0: Oh, my God. Yes. Absolutely. absolutely.
2: So, the tea we're drinking um, is appropriately named Awake for uh, this episode, Um, and it's just a simple green and mate tea blend. Mm -hmm. Um, It's... Pretty tasty.
1: It's really good. It's the I only it's... thing that's keeping me able to talk. I've been so sick this week and I'm so thankful for Just Add Honey. If you don't know who that yes. is,
0: that's our wonderful tea partner. Mm-hmm. And you can still use the code Conspiracy, as in the name of the podcast on Just Add Honey's website or in their Sweet Auburn Market or Beltline store if you happen to live in Atlanta. To get 15% off of your purchase of loose leaf tea, tea accessories, and apparel.
1: I ordered one of those T-shirts that Brandy was wearing that you told me about. Oh my god,
0: I love that! Yeah, I can't that's my. Wait. I love that shirt so much.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm so glad that we get to partner with them. I
2: mm-hmm. need to make a trip there this week.
1: Yeah, we could have a
0: little. Oh tea yeah, party. we should. Both of them are so close to my job. So like, anytime y'all are free, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it, bitches.
1: But yeah, this tea is really good. And we chose the awake tea because I think we can all agree that after studying this case, New York in the '80s and early '90s needed to wake the hell up. So, in light of Netflix's new show, When They See Us, which is about the Central Park Five Central Park Jogger mm-hmm. case,
0: oh man, Ava DuVernay is just like—my pronouncing your name right? Yes, DuVernay. She is. She's killing it. Like she's Bad She's ass. just like nonstop. Everything she comes out with is amazing. I mean, she amazing. made Selma,
1: which yes. is like mind-boggling.
0: The vi- which is like the very first film, f- like a biopic of Martin Luther mm-hmm. King Jr. Yep. like And it was incredible. It was amazing. Oh, man. And everything she comes out with is just amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so even paced and it's never biased. Mm -hmm. That's why I really love it. A lot of people involved in this case, which I'm sure we'll get to later, have been like outraged about this, but I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you mad about somebody calling you out for once in your life? For Mm -hmm. real.
0: You mad about that thing that you did? That you actually did? Are you upset that people are calling you out because you did that?
1: (laughs) I'm so sorry. Their (laughs)
2: their pride is too high. I mean, they. they they can't admit that they were wrong. I mean,
1: mm-hmm. even to this day, we have they someone can't. in the Oval Office that can't admit that they were wrong, and he mm-hmm. definitely led the. He riot. was very
2: vocal about it when oh, it for happened. Sure. Very yeah. vocal, we'll like right too. away.
1: Oh yeah, um, literally. He didn't
2: waste any time at all.
1: I have the amount of money that he spent. Oh my gosh, it was to put insane.
0: their names through the mud. Please and uh, and just FYI, while she's looking that up, just to reiterate, we're not you know we're not talking about Mike Pence here
2: <laughs> when we <laughs> say
1: someone in the Oval Office. Although I'm sure if he would have had the money oh, and, and the inheritance and yeah. the microphone, he would have been all over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, Donald Trump spent eighty five thousand dollars the just first rant week rave. of the case, just just to run an ad in every big New York paper. But we'll get to all of that we're already getting like heated up (laughs) we're
0: already mad
1: (laughs) but yeah so this case really just obviously it changed the lives of five people obviously Mm -hmm. it was huge in the black community it was huge in the latin community but it wasn't big enough in the white community and that's what we're obviously here to talk about today yes i'm really glad that netflix has you know reached out to her and they are consistently reaching out to these people whose stories need to be told mm-hmm. and giving them, you know, the, the coverage that they deserve and money oh, yeah. that they deserve. <laughs> so I'm just going to preface this with a little statistic before we start. Um, thanks to Katie for these numbers. Really appreciate you. So in 1989, from January to June in New York... There were 837 murders, 1,600 rapes, and 43,000 robberies. That's literally the first half of one year. That's it, in one city. That's insane.
2: Yeah. I mean, Literally. the crime was at an all-time high in New York in the late eighties mm-hmm. because of the crack at- crack epidemic.
1: Mm-hmm. So basically, what these statistics are saying to me, knowing now what I know about the case and mm-hmm. just what I know about, you know, the legal system and the police system in general, are like New York is under a lot of pressure. They're in a time right now when their racial divide was at a boiling point. Their classism was at a boiling point. It was like. If you were on the upper east or west side, like, then you count. If you're mm-hmm. not, fuck you. Yeah. Like, that's literally what it was. If you're white, great. If mm-hmm. you're Jewish, great. If you're not, fuck you.
2: Yes, what you just said about the whole if you're white, great. If you're black, fuck you. Um, and the documentary Central Park Five, um, there is uh, Reverend Calvin Butts says the most endangered species in America at that time was a young black man. Yep because they were just I mean most of the people that were dying were young black kids in yep. New York and nobody cared.
1: Cuz nobody took the time.
2: Nobody gave a shit because mm-hmm. once you went over that one, you know, threshold of the good and the bad, mm-hmm. you know, being in the projects, they were like it's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. We don't care.
0: Yeah, this was before the Bronx and Queens and Bed-Stuy were all, like, cool hipster places. Yeah, this is
1: before it was cool to be in Brooklyn, so
0: classism and elitism were
1: at an all-time high Mm -hmm. in a place where it was cool. Yeah. That's just the end of the story. I mean, (laughs) I could stop right there and be like, yep, you guys get it. Like, that's (laughs) what it was. So, but let's get into it. The story of the Central Park Five is a real story that illuminates America's problems with race, class, policing of black communities, and the weaponizing of racial fears, the latter of which was exacerbated by the man we now call the President of the United States. Sweet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I, I'm the that was sick. a clip from the State of the, <laughs> <laughs> the Union. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the clip from the State of the Union is just crickets. Fuck, because there's no attendance.
1: Guys, we're almost done. We're <laughs> almost done with the term. I thank oh God. God. Please
0: vote in 2020. Please, please. <laughs> please. And we're not going to tell you who we endorse, but please, <laughs> please.
1: I think it's pretty obvious from yeah. the mouth farts. <laughs> from the mouth farts.
0: Anyone with a anyone with a D next to their name. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Got anyone that.
2: else. Or that one weird lady, the author lady, Josh. Marianne Williamson. Oh,
1: my God. Oh, my God. I was talking to my mom about her literally on my way here, and we are both convinced that she is a plant so that all the hipsters will vote for her because hipsters, apparently, according to NPR, are the people that don't vote. Oh,
0: my God. But nobody, they're not going to vote for, if they're going to vote for anybody, they're going to vote for if you're trying to appeal to hipsters you do like beto who used to be in a punk band
1: yeah but nobody cares about beto anymore because he can't he, really speak spanish and he's a oh fraud. my
0: god that was yeah. hilarious dude, that was hilarious. julian castro just like oh it was amazing it made me love julian castro it was great um dude i was text i was texting um our friend frankie during the second night of debates and i was like Okay, like I also like crystals and like weird shit, but I'm not exactly. running for president.
1: Literally, you can't trust me in an oval office because you know what? That whole thing would be marble and Hello Kitty <laughs> by day two, and my state of the I mean, union we'd be, would be like.
2: We'd be fucked, honestly, if she got elected. That's it I, would be sorry. amazing, if, though. I like her. I would, would love
0: know, for sweet you to be sweet and president, whatever, but Thank yay, you.
1: shit. My first state of the union would be like. Okay, I'm just going to start meditate. us off with a sound bath. So if you can all <laughs> lay on the ground. Oh my- I'm going to ring the bowl. <sighs> what's that
0: What's that pool that's in front of the Washington Monument? The rectangle? Yeah. yeah. Yes. I don't know. Lincoln <laughs> Lincoln's just, tears. Lincoln's oh. tears. You would just tears. I mean, you would just be like I need 12,000 bath bombs for the for my inauguration. I want all
1: the water in millennial pink.
0: Oh
2: my god, is that a color? Yes. That was Pantone's
1: pink? color of the year 2017. You bitch. Who? Pantone. Do you not follow the color of the year?
2: This year it's hot coral. Yes. Could, must I remind y'all I'm 68? I'm a 68 year old trapped in a 28 year old's body. This is why I can't. Be I president. don't know about the modern times. <laughs> I don't know what these young young kids are saying and doing nowadays millennial
1: pink is my second favorite color
0: what's your that's first great. favorite mine color? is green. Sage green. Hmm? Sage green oh yeah because that's the best
1: yeah or mustard yellow it changes based oh, on yeah. my chakras <laughs>
0: i mean that's this fair. Is why i can't be president
1: okay so i kind of wanted to get into what happened i'm not gonna go into like all 30 to 35 kids that came into the park but I kind of wanted to go into the events and locations and mm-hmm. time by times of what was going on so we're kind of going to bounce back between the Central Park jogger okay. and the other people that were involved in the kids okay so on the night of April 19th 1989 Trisha Maylee went for a regular jog in Central Park something she always did the same route Several hours later, the 28-year-old investment banker was found brutally beaten and raped, left to die, and a number of unspeakable other things that I literally can't talk about happened to her. She was pushed aside in a ravine off of a very popular jogging path. That same night, several other attacks took place in Central Park. A group of more than 30 kids, ages 13 to 17, were suspected of harassing joggers, throwing rocks at cyclists, and also harassing an elderly homeless
0: man. I mean, except for, like, harassing the elderly homeless man. That sounds like a fun night. Right.
1: And that is something eventually I was going to ask you guys about. Like, while what some of those kids were doing was really messed up, Mm -hmm. like, you probably shouldn't be pushing adults off of bikes and, like, throwing rocks at people. Like, I don't understand... Even now and today, if you're like driving through Atlanta, you can always hear people like talking to people that are on the side of the street, like mm-hmm. yelling at people. Like,
2: well, remember, this was also like in the 80s when like you had the like fucking Twisted Sister had to go before the Supreme Court because their music was deemed, you know, in a like True. teenagers started children. to become, yeah. you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, we were between the satanic and, and holy yeah. in the mouth. So, yeah. you know, of course. It's it's not as, like, oh, now as it would have been back then when they were, like, that's not how teen—I mean, parents, I don't think, still could get over the fact that teenagers weren't cookie-cutter-like in fucking Leave it to Beaver. Anymore. Oh, yeah. I mean, like even though that was, what, 30 years before?
0: Yeah, and teenagers weren't like that then either. It's just the people who were adults then had, like, a very whimsical view of their childhood. Nobody was like, leave it to Beaver. That's just all they could show on TV at the time because of the stupid censorship guidelines.
1: And by the time 89 rolled around, both parents were working multiple jobs to try to make it in a city like New York. Yeah. So, like, the kids never had anyone around to be like, hey, stop. Mm -hmm. Be a robot, you know? Yeah,
0: and, like, uh, I mean, it's it's just fucking teenagers. Like, if, if the worst thing a teenager does is, like push a 35-year-old wall street broker off of his bicycle like i support that teenager
1: like yeah that sucks and like you probably shouldn't do that mm-hmm. but also how did we get where we went <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's just what i
1: want to i just yeah. have to know
2: so yeah, many like, crazy things stuff like that though i don't know i would i would If my kids did shit like that, like, Mm -hmm. pushing people off their bikes and, like, throwing rocks and, like, beating up, I would be like, what the fuck are you doing? That's true. go to your room. Don't come (laughs) out until you're, like, 30. I don't, like, no.
1: But police stations (laughs) and interrogations, absolutely not. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell no. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well. The attacks took place between the north woods of Central Park in Manhattan all the way to the Southern Reservoir. NYPD knew that the kids in the park that night were the perfect scapegoat for all the attacks in the park that night, even though Maley was found at the opposite end of the park to where the other harassments were taking place at the same time. Obviously, it doesn't add up. There's a lot of things that don't add up about this case, but we're going to get into that later. The immediate media uproar. That all of New York and our president brought upon the NYPD told them and basically forced them to win this, to blame someone and to get it done quickly.
0: I was always curious as to why it was like this case, like why this specific person in this specific case, why there was such an uproar. I, I think it like was the media. Oh s- well, I mean like like you said, there were what, like fourteen thousand rapes in like mm-hmm. the first six months? Sixteen hundred.
2: The there may have been sixteen hundred rapes. I don't think those rapes were as severe as hers was. Oh, okay. Like she was, I mean, severely tell who she beaten. Was besides right, her ring. That's she was. Right. I mean, yeah, they, they, was. they 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 were really, like mm. pretty sure she was gonna die. Yeah, yeah. she was so, in a coma I mean, for
1: twelve days. She was sodomized. Yeah, she was like <sighs> you couldn't see her face. Like she lost eighty percent of her blood. And th- I mean, their amazing. their intention,
2: the person who did it, their intentions were for her to die. Yes, so that she could not pinpoint who it was.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean. So I feel like it was a combination of that, Linda scene and the newspapers I got a hold of it real quick. Yeah. It was a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. It literally was just a perfect oh, yeah. storm um, is what it was, and it was terrible. Goddamn
2: Linda Fairstein.
1: All right. Well, we're just going to start with kind of like the timelines now. So uh, 9 p.m., also the same time that Trisha Maley decided to go for a jog, she left her apartment right around 845, 850. So 9 p.m. as well. A group of estimated 30 to 33 teens who lived in East Harlem entered Central Park at an entrance in the north. Some of the group members committed several smaller attacks, assaults, and robberies against people walking, biking, and jogging in the northernmost part of the park and then later near the reservoir. Victims began reporting these incidents to the police almost immediately. Within the north woods between 105th and 102nd Street, They were reported throwing rocks at cabs, attacking bicyclists, and robbing a homeless man of his food and beer, leaving him unconscious. (laughs) Poor guy. Oh,
0: God. I think
2: they even, like, dumped his beer on his head.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's mean. So, that's what I'm saying. Like, they were doing just enough. Like, it was literally the perfect storm. They were doing just enough to get messed up.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So...
1: The teenagers then roamed south along 97th Street between 9 and 10 p.m. That's very important. Okay. Also at 9 p.m., like I said, we have Trisha Maley, the jogger, also known as the Central Park jogger. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah, because she didn't, they didn't name her until recently. I will talk
1: about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine because that is the part for some reason that part is the part that really messed me up, and I'm going to talk about it as soon as I finish the times. Okay. So, cool, cool, cool. Okay. So, like I said, she was going on her regular route around the same time that the boys were at 97th Street. So, she entered, like I said, the northernmost part. Um, So she was knocked down, dragged only 300 feet off of the roadway. So it is kind of Mm far-ish, I guess, for a human to drag a human. But it's not like they dragged her anywhere near where these kids were going. They were ultimately trying to go all the way to the reservoir to play basketball. Mm -hmm. That was the end goal. So she was violently assaulted, raped, sodomized, and almost beaten to death. Four hours later, she was found naked, gagged, and tied, covered in mud and blood in a shallow ravine in a wooded area of the park north of a path called 102nd Street Crossing. There was no evidence that there were multiple footprints or perpetrators. There were no fingerprints of multiple people there were nothing, nothing that would mm-hmm. even let you think that 30 people had been there, 10 people had been there, 5 people had been there. Yeah. No footprints mm-hmm. when they were dragging her. Nothing. So let's just, first of all, let's just let that sink in. Like, the if there were 33 quote-unquote right, where... wolf pack children wilding <laughs> things, you would have, yeah, you... like, if there were problems... 33 people on one 28-year-old investment banker, I'm pretty sure the leaves would all be kicked back, the mm-hmm. brush would be messed up, her blood would have been on them, yeah. her DNA would have been on them, her skin would have been under their fingernails,
0: mm-hmm. I
1: mean, if she lost 80% of her blood and she was unrecognizable, there would be blood all over these kids. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, and their DNA would be on her. At least one of them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: At the very minimum.
0: And this is 1989. It's not like we didn't have DNA testing. Like, so, it's crazy.
1: So, 940 to 950. Some of the group had traveled further south to the reservoir. They were there. They attacked four male joggers. John Laughlin, the 40-year-old school teacher who was severely beaten around 940. Okay? 940. He was hit in the head with a pipe and briefly unconscious immediately called the police Mm. so that's 940 okay her jog was only supposed to be from 9 to 10 Mm -hmm. after all these people have been calling their reports in like the joggers the teacher Mm -hmm. that weird couple on a tandem bike who does that in 1989
0: (laughs) I don't know people still do it today listen
1: so upnot. well yeah have you ever been to Florida it's like the state of the tandem bikes but in New York City at 9 at night who gets on their tandem bikes no it's what? Even. Okay. <laughs> so after all these people made all their reports, obviously it's going to grab attention. Hey, mm-hmm. there's 30 kids in the park. Like, they're beating us up, da-da-da, da da stealing watches, hitting us in the head with pipes, mm-hmm. whatever. So one of the Central Park Five, Yusuf Salam, says that... Um, You know, the cops came. Everyone was, like, freaking out. A lot of them scattered. He was getting back on the subway to go home around 10 p.m. Now, keep in mind that later, this is when they were trying to say that Trisha Maley was getting assaulted. Mm. Was when one of them was literally already on a train. Just,
2: (laughs) wow. Okay. Because he left because... He wanted to go to the park, but he didn't want to take part of any of that. Yeah, he – a lot of them were literally right. just like, can we play basketball? I mean, <laughs> they well, they, they saw all these kids going into the park, and they were just like, what are all of the – what are what are they doing? So they followed them, not knowing, you know, what those other kids were planning on doing, mm-hmm. and they um, – and especially when the police came. That's when they all started to – they got scared, and they ran.
1: Exactly. So, they bring in as many of the kids as they can. I think mm-hmm. originally they were holding, like, 17 or 16. Not, like, wow. to pinpoint any of this on the jogger yet. They literally yeah. just had all of them in for unlawful, like, rioting exactly. and assembly and all that stuff. Basically, they were like, why are you kids are having fun? Not allowed. Come come with us. So, they take in, like, 17 or 18, So, they're being held. They're, like, calling their parents. It's the middle of the night. Their parents aren't really picking up. A lot of their parents are working overnight or nurses, et cetera, random stuff like that. And they were, like, saying, oh, you know, um, your kids need to come in. They're going to be receiving a ticket for unlawful assembly. They're going to go to family court and then eventually get sent home. Mm, So, they're waiting for hours. Yeah. Basically. Um... So, it's 1.30 a.m. While these kids are being held, about to get their family court tickets, this is the time that Trisha Maley was discovered. So, like I said, several kids already been arrested. Mm -hmm. They're about to wrap this up. The police are like, stop being quote-unquote hoodlums, (laughs) and we can all go home.
0: Cool? Yeah.
1: Cool. Called them little animals, too. Mm Mm-hmm. So, literally, they're about to get sent home. Yeah. Um, Linda Fairstein, the devil of this case, gets (laughs) promoted recently to the SVU. Dun dun. Mm. And (laughs) she is like in charge of the sex crimes unit. Okay. She gets called to the scene in Central Park. They're like, you got to see this young girl. We don't know who she is. She's unconscious in the park. Cool. Come on. So then she freaks out obviously her boss the whole da everyone is like we can't do this again we can't have another one unsolved Mm. we need to win yeah like what do you have going on at the station the police are like oh we just have 17 you know kids of color in the park just fooling around they said they were wilding and she was like wilding what does that mean they were like i don't know she was like oh well it must mean that they raped this girl so keep them I mean, like, it literally was kind of like one giant light bulb goes off over the entire DA's office that if they solve, you know, these random robberies and Mm -hmm. then this big rape case and bring New York safety and justice, then they won't be under all the fire and trouble that they've been in recently. Yeah. So Linda Fairstein demands that police hold the boys, claiming she believed that they had already had their suspect. She then demanded police bring in all the, quote, Black thugs, quote, and had police go straight to the projects.
0: And like some of the some of the, the boys that are being held are as young as like thirteen, right? Thirteen yeah. to seventeen. Yeah. yeah. The Only they two were... or three
1: were seventeen. Yeah. Most of them were under fifteen. Yeah.
0: And they're being called thugs already.
1: Black thugs. Black thugs. And most of them some of them weren't even black. Yeah. Basically, quote, thugs of color. <laughs> So, uh, she has them go straight to the project. I mean, there's kids getting arrested and brought in in donut shops on the subway, oh, yeah. like at restaurants, like walking to the park, walking home, walking to like they're just literally like, oh, you're black. Come with us.
0: You're black between the ages of 13 and 17. You fit the profile.
1: Right.
2: That's really what they did.
0: And yeah. one
1: of the police officers said that while she was giving the briefing, mm-hmm. she literally told them. At least one of these kids did it. This is the one who did it. You will get them to confess. Like she, and that's number one. That's illegal now, as a as a prosecutor, or if you're in the DA's office, you're legally not allowed to tell a police officer who, um, uh, like committed something if there's mm-hmm. no evidence or hearing yet. So before court, you can't use those words. Okay. Wow. But, I mean, she did. I don't know if all the police there believed that, Mm -hmm. but she went ahead and just told everyone, like, start interrogating them. Yeah. Because obviously they did it.
0: Has she, like, come out and said anything since the documentary and stuff has come out? who? Linda Fairstein? She's denying
1: a lot of it, but she got fired from her publisher. Yeah. Her agent, her manager, doesn't have her job anymore. She was working at a university, lost her tenure.
0: Nice. I mean, like...
1: She's getting stripped of everything.
0: Good. like fuck I her. mean, that sucks, but, like, you, she did an absolutely terrible thing. And who knows what other bullshit she pulled while she was in office.
2: Literally, fuck
1: her. <laughs> like, I've yeah. never been more mad at anybody in a crime story in a long time. Yeah. Well, just she like,
2: just wanted to be the good guy. And because, like you said, she had... I mean, she was in a unit that wasn't... They weren't getting anywhere. The yeah. amount of rapes that were happening, they weren't getting anywhere, and she wanted, she had to, she wanted to have a name for herself. She wanted to be the person who solved this mm-hmm. case. Yep, she and wanted to be the hot dog. She, for a long time, thought she did the right thing, and to this she day, she still, still thinks by it. But she's her life is ruined now. I mean, it should be
0: exactly. Yeah. it
2: definitely should be it, with everybody who had anything to do with this case,
0: and like not. Just because you ruined the life of five like young boys, but also because since they didn't actually do any detective work, the person who did commit the crime went on to commit more extremely heinous crimes. Oh. We'll talk about that later.
1: During the trial, he was literally murdering people. Yeah, he was. I'm so sorry. You're fine. I You're spoiled t- something. <laughs> but it makes me so mad. And he had been linked to several rapes in well, the same block. Yes.
2: I have, I have, I have something to, oh, once so I sorry. start talking.
1: Well, yeah, and that's pretty much where I'm going to pass the torch.
2: So, as Liz said, the police did um, keep about 17 to 18 kids um, to kind of question. And then once they found out about uh, Trisha, real quick, Maylee. Once they found out about Trisha Mayley, um they kind of got that number down, um, and they pinpointed their eyes at... Seven kids at first. Um, Kevin Richardson, Raymond Santana, Antron McRae, Yusuf Salam, Corey Wise, Clarence Thomas, and Steve Lopez. Clarence Thomas and Steve Lopez um, were being linked to Melee's attack, but um, they did not end up giving confessions. But uh, Lopez did plead guilty to another park robbery that night, and uh, Clarence Thomas was actually released. So then you have the five remaining boys which, as Liz said, are forever known as the Central Park Five. Um, now, the boys were all underage except for Corey Wise. He was 16. So the ones that were under the age of 16 needed a parent present while being interrogated.
0: Yeah, that's, I'm pretty sure that's literally the law. It, yes, it and is. it was.
2: And they, the police and detectives in this instance just used every single thing that they could to get around that. Um, so... Basically, they, like, Raymond's situation, his father and grandmother, who he lived with, Mm -hmm. came to the police station, but his father had to work, so he left his grandmother there. His grandmother um, did not speak English. Um, So they used an interpreter during his interrogation. And um, at one point, when they started talking about the rape, Mm -hmm. um, Raymond kind of became uncomfortable. And the detectives kind of took that as a, okay, well, let's get her out of the room. So that was their way of basically, like, things like that is what they did to to get around the fact that these kids were underage. Yeah. So when the boys were being held in the interrogation rooms, they would have different cops from, you know, just kept coming in. There is a lot of back and forth. Um, and I watched the um, Ken Burns documentary, The Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it. Back in 2012 when it came out on PBS. Because, like I said, I'm an old woman. I watch PBS. Oh,
0: PBS is great. I, mean, I love I it. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I literally donate to PBS um, yes. so I can watch Great British Bake Off episodes. Because this was before it was on Netflix. Yes. And you could only watch it on PBS. And it was like, if you donate and become a member, you can watch for free. So I was like, fantastic. Here you are, $5 a month. Give me the cakes.
1: That's my favorite yes. show of all time. I'll forever stand by it.
2: Yes. I just like PBS for, like the kids shows like Arthur (laughs) and these documentaries um those things but yeah I I stumbled upon the Central Park 5 documentary in 2012 Mm. when it was on TV and that was the first time I heard about the case ever and it's stuck with me ever since which by the way you can
1: rent that now on Amazon Prime for like $2.99 yeah it's it's very
2: easy I would I would definitely say if you've watched the Netflix series When They See Us Please watch the documentary. Yes, the series on Netflix goes into more of, like, exa- like the artistic ability of, like, what happened using, you know, actors to portray it in a really good way. But in the documentary, you hear and see Raymond, Yusuf, Kevin, Antron, and Corey, and you get to hear their side of the story. Um, but the documentary is actually based off of a book written by Ken Burns' uh, daughter, Sarah Burns, called The Central Park Five. So there's also the book that I would recommend reading as well. Um, so watching the documentary, you get to hear um, a lot of what happened to them. And they, they give their own instance of the story. Like Raymond was asked by a cop when he was being interrogated, what happened to the lady? When Raymond responds, what lady? And the cop says, what do you mean, what lady? The lady who got raped in the park. And Raymond in, was just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they did the same thing to Kevin. And Kevin, once again, was also like, I don't know what you're talking about. There was no lady. We were with all these kids. Mm -hmm. There were people on bikes. There were joggers. But there was no lady. Yeah. So when they start trying to basically pinpoint this attack on these kids, the detectives become very angry because they're not getting the answers that they want. Mm -hmm. And so they basically go into tactics that were just horrible and yeah. degrading. And for these kids being so young, like 14 and 15 and 16, mm-hmm. for this to be happening to them like was awful. Like I said, when they escorted um, Raymond's grandmother out of the room, that's when the detectives came back in with like full force of like we're gonna we're gonna get some shit out of you. And um, they called him a scumbag. They heavily accused him of committing the rape and beating. And Raymond says something very, um, it's heartbreaking. Like watching the documentary, it's very heartbreaking because hearing it come from their point of view, he says, at that point I was coming into who I was, but I never really got there. Mm. he I mean, Mm. he was a a young boy and Mm -hmm. discovering, you know, his youth and who he wanted to become. And he got it all taken away.
0: Yeah, Mm. Um, viciously
2: there is Detective Arrero um, who is a key part in this case in interrogating these boys um, said you know you fucking did it you fucking stuck your dick in her right mm. and this detective was actually becoming very aggressive with Raymond he was starting to like charge at him and um, smacking him in the head and um, being very violent and then Detective Hartigan walks in and basically stops him from beating him. Detective Hartigan is kind of like... I want to say he's a good piece to these guys, because that's what they said. They said that they were thankful that he would come in and stop these other detectives from basically beating the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. But he was still a bad guy, because he was telling them, tell us tell us what we want to hear, basically.
0: Yeah, so... He, th- In actuality, while it seemed like he was probably helping them, they were probably doing a good cop, bad cop thing. Exactly. Where it was Uh like, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. Exactly. You come in and stop me, and then they'll see you as a good guy, and they'll tell you. Uh
2: Um, Mm-hmm. Kevin Richardson was, um, when the police came to Central Park, Kevin Richardson was tackled by a police officer, and the police officer took his helmet off of his head and slapped him across his face and mm-hmm. ended up leaving a scratch below his eye and mm-hmm. which in turn they used that against him mm-hmm. because nobody saw him getting beat by the detect- by the police officer in the park except for there was one person who did see and that was Antron but of course they're not going to Antron didn't really understand what was happening at the time yeah um so Kevin was in the precinct being interrogated by police his mother showed up but his mother was sick She was um, a little disabled. She had a lot of health issues. So by the time they were going to start questioning him and needing her in there, she um, was feeling ill. And they took that and they said, well, like, you can go ahead and go home. And she complied and they took that as, okay, well, she's complying and she's allowing us to question him. So they once again did something that they knew they weren't supposed to do by questioning Kevin without a parental figure. Now, Kevin did have an older sister, Angela, mm-hmm. who did stay, but she was still, I mean, I, I think she was maybe 18 at the time. Okay. Um, she was still young, and she, she still was very clueless as to what was happening.
0: So why did they bring Kevin Richardson in in such a violent way? Like, what was...
2: It was,
1: it's just... <sighs> well, he did initially run. He did. He did.
0: Gotcha. And did he run
1: from raping anyone? No. No. But did he run from that big giant group because he wasn't actually doing anything? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also, if a cop is chasing you, you fucking run.
2: Well, they saw all the other kids running and they were running. Yeah. And yeah, and these cops were assholes and they just—I mean—they tackled. They had already had him on the ground and. He may have been, if you've watched the Netflix series, you know, he was saying, I didn't do anything. He may have been saying that, but the cop still took it upon himself to just, like, knock him unconscious. Mm. And so at this point, they have Raymond and um, Kevin at the precinct, but...
1: (laughs) That is a really crazy candle.
2: So the only two that they had at the station at the time, though, um, after Trisha was found, were Kevin and Raymond. So on April 20th, 1989, detectives go to Antron's home to bring him in for questioning. They ask him while they're at his house to put on the clothes he was wearing from the night before. They made him change because they wanted his clothes as evidence. And they used the fact that all their clothes were covered in mud from being tackled or running from the police. As you have mud on your clothes, she was in um, mud. You obviously, like that was another thing that they were trying to use to to put them at the the crime scene.
0: You have a New York accent. She right. was attacked in New York City.
2: Exactly. Obviously, you did it. Um, they asked Antron about Maley, but like Raymond and Kevin, he didn't know who she was. And Antron's parents were the only parents that were actually in the interrogation room. They came down to the station, and they mm. were in the room with him. Aside from Raymond's grandmother being there.
0: Yes. Um, who didn't so, understand what was going on because she didn't speak English. Exactly.
2: So, Antron's parents were in the room. The detectives were yelling at Antron, getting in his face, poking him in his chest, and his parents could do absolutely nothing but watch and listen as their child was being berated and basically bullied by police Mm -hmm. and being asked questions like, you raped this woman. Did you see this woman get raped? And his parents are so confused because he's 14. Mm -hmm. I mean... um. And at one point, a detective pulled Antron's father aside, and when his father came back into the room, his father told Antron to tell them what they wanted to hear. His father really believed that if he did that, that he would get to go home. And a little thing, um, Antron said his father was his best friend. His father was, like, his role model. He was his hero. And so he trusted his father a lot, and so his father is telling him to to just say it because you'll you'll get to go home. And it's so devastating because to this day Antron does not forget did not forgive his father.
0: And he like he shouldn't.
2: And another thing is that was actually his stepfather. Mm-hmm. His real dad was not in the picture. So mm-hmm. he develops this really close relationship and then everything just kind of crumbles at that point for him and his, his relationship with his dad. Um, at this point, they now have Antron, Kevin, and Raymond. They were interrogated for hours. No food, no drinks. They were not allowed to sleep. There is a social psychologist on the documentary. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. His name was Saul Cassin. And he says, After not getting responses that they want, talking about the detectives, the goal is to turn from state of despair to a state of helplessness so the suspect gets worn down, which is exactly what those detectives did. Mm -hmm. So when it came time for Raymond, Antron, and Kevin to finally give their confessions after being bullied, you know, (laughs) yelled at in their faces, Mm -hmm. hit upside the head, they were all three coerced into their confessions. Raymond was shown a picture of Kevin with a scratch on his face and was told, "You see that scratch on her face? That's from that's from the lady." And so at that point Raymond says, "Kevin did it. Kevin raped her." And only Kevin raped her. Antron was asked about the clothes that Melee was wearing and totally wrong. The descri- description of her clothes was not right. But the mm-hmm. cops were basically telling him, "Well, this is what this is what she was wearing." Um, Raymond made up the, cri- the place of the crime and um, it was not the correct place where the crime happened
0: no of course not
2: in Kevin's confession he blamed Antron for raping her and Kevin confessed at this point because he has been berated so much by the detectives when he says that Antron raped her he at this point also says that the scratch from his face came from Meili, uh scratching him while he was trying to grab her and sexually assault her Insane. essentially.
1: I mean it's a child who's been held exactly. for thirty. Ex- hours. And they're being
2: told if you say this, you're you gonna can go, go home, home yeah. and you'll be fine. So then you come to Antron's confession and he says a lot of people raped Mele, including himself. All of these boys thought that they were just being witnesses to the crime, but they in turn realized after they gave their confessions that they went from being witnesses to putting themselves in the crime. Raymond was even told to put himself in the scene of the crime. From the detectives, um, it <laughs> this whole thing just makes me so it's, mad, and it's just so upsetting because that's only three of the five. Yeah, and they've gotten to that point. And now, when you get to Yusuf and Corey, this is where you start to say, "This it's not it's fucked up at this point, but it's even more fucked up with oh, yeah. the way that they go about mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with Yusuf and Corey." Because um, Thursday, April 20th, 1989, the police, when they were out in the projects looking for the thugs, they um, they find Yusuf and Corey together. Yusuf gave his name, and he was on the list of suspects to bring in, but Corey was not. Police did ask Corey, though, you can come down to the station with your friend while he's being questioned, and you'll be right back. But Corey didn't come home until 13 years later.
1: Mm. Mm -mm. Mm.
2: while being interrogated Yusuf saw how hostile and angry the detectives were getting with him he wasn't telling them what they wanted to hear and he said the tone got very very angry and he thought that they might take us to the back and kill us thankfully Yusuf's mother Sharon Salam interrupted his interrogation so he did not give a confession she called out Fairstein for interrogating her son when it was illegal for them to be interrogating him he was 14 years old yeah. Sharon has said that Fairstein became verbally abusive to her at the station, and she came bounding at me like some Joan of Arc crusader type. Oh. Jesus. White people. Right? right. Crazy white bitch. <laughs> um, Corey is kind of where they he ties the entire story together. Because... At this point, they've gotten the confessions from Kevin, Antron, and Raymond, but when they're trying to tape the confessions, they can't get them to basically say what they want them to say. Mm-hmm. They are, um, they're not getting the story right. So then, Corey, once again, is not on the list of, of suspects. So a detective comes up to him, though, and says, were you in the park? And he, of course, says yes. And yeah. so they say, they, they told him, you're going to tell us a story. And you will not go home until you tell us a story. So they pull Corey, and Corey, in my eyes, is basically the weakest link in here. He has a hearing problem that has caused many problems for him as he's grown up. It, um, As he said in the documentary, it is a disability that has kind of stunted him in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So he has this slight disadvantage that all these other kids had yeah, and or didn't have. And um, they, the detectives put their face in Corey's face. They put hands in his face. They grab his face. They shake him. They hit him. And finally, they just broke him down. And his taped confession, even though he was not on the list of suspects, mm-hmm. his taped confession is what they used as to say, well, this shows that they did it. Um, and watching... Watching Corey – I apologize if I start to cry because this is where, like, it starts to get really emotional for me. Watching him give his confession on that tape, you can just see his his fear, his sadness. It's so heartbreaking. He is so nervous. He is – he he just he has no idea what is happening. He just knows that if he gives them what they want, he's going to get to go home. And he he's if if you have a chance just go watch go watch the real confession tape, not the Netflix stuff. Like go watch the documentary and watch it because it's just so devastating. Um As the social psychologist says, while they are being from their taped confessions, um, when you are stressed, when you are tired, when you are a juvenile who's not fully developed, you just want it to stop. And that's all they wanted. They were interrogated and they were in custody for 13 to 30 hours. And they eventually just got so broken down to the point that they confessed to a crime. That, like Raymond, at one point in the documentary, reads his confession. And when he's done reading his confession, he starts crying because he's like, "That's not what a fourteen-year-old boy says,"
0: because he says something
2: along the lines of putting, you know, he pulled his pants down and put and proceeded to basically put his dick inside of her. Mm. And once they all eventually left the interrogation room, they denied everything. Um, They had implicated themselves into the case, though. At that point. And they had no DNA evidence. They had nothing but these confession tapes, and that was the one thing that the prosecution was running with.
0: Well, the thing is, is that they did have DNA evidence. They
2: just did not to them though.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They had there was like DNA evidence. It just didn't link these five suspects. In fact, it linked a different person entirely.
2: Which it's funny. um, The the person that it linked it to. Two days before this even happened, um, he actually raped uh, another woman at in the park. In Central Park, yeah. And in a very she similar way. And noticed that he had fresh stitches on his chin. So she told the police about it. The police put a head out for all the hospitals.
0: Mm-hmm. One hospital
2: contacted them and said, Yes, we did have a man come in. Here's his name Mateas Reyes. Mm-hmm. And they, the detective apparently who got that information was moved to another unit and it just got ignored. It just got ignored. So he, mm. he's. They found him. They could yeah. have had him, and they blew it. They blew it. And that's it. and that's and that's what this entire case is. Is they fucking blew it so bad for these five kids whose entire lives were just taken from them for for seven to thirteen years, mm-hmm. while the one person that did it is out there causing more harm. Yeah. And just, it's, it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And people, people knew that this crime was big because of the victim being white and the suspects being black and Latino. Mm -hmm. And another disturbing thing, like Liz was saying, the racial divide in the city, around the same time as this case happened, another woman was raped and thrown off of a roof in Brooklyn. But the case got little to no attention because the victim and the suspect were from the same ethnic background.
1: Yep. Yep. It's disgusting.
2: And I just, I cannot, I cannot fathom the fact that this happened 30 years ago and we're still Mm -hmm. dealing with the bullshit
0: of the same
2: bullshit. The difference is we have the ability now to actually see it happen in real time.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And it just.
1: (sighs) Like what kind of a world do we live in? Where we would rather prosecute children than mm-hmm. spend eight extra hours looking for someone.
0: Not even like eight extra hours. Like the mi- the minimal amount. There was so much evidence. Oh, for sure. Against they this one guy, that like all they had to do, all they had to do was arrest one guy instead of interrogating five children for 30 hours, which they is had essentially done torture. They their fucking job.
2: If that one detective, I don't care if you move to a different unit, if you have, for one, he was a serial rapist at this point. They yes. knew they had a serial rapist on their hands mm-hmm. in the Upper East Side. Yep. And instead of actually putting forth the effort for this detective, I don't give a shit if you go to a different department. You have that name. Give it to somebody else. Yeah. And make it to where you're going to catch this person.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, do your fucking job. Serve yep. and protect. Yep.
2: So... Back to Kevin.
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. You're fine, um, dude. Don't, yeah, don't. I know. Apologize. For being emotional. Fuck these. Yeah. Fuck these guys. So fuck these guys. Fuck everyone involved.
2: <laughs> so Kevin, Raymond, Yusuf, and Antron were all sent to juvenile c- detention centers after they gave their um, taped confessions. Except Yusuf did not give a taped confession. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were sent to a ju- juvenile dissenter in the Bronx the inmates vowed to make prison a living hell for the accused rapists because they mm. did not take too kindly to rapists, as most prisoners don't, apparently. Yeah. Um, I mean, you shouldn't. Right, you, you shouldn't. shouldn't. But
1: not when they are children who were falsely accused. Okay? Now,
2: yeah. Corey was a different story because he was 16, he was technically an adult, and he was sent to Rikers Island. Yep. A 16-year-old.
0: Wild. A 16-year-old Rikers fucking island. with a disability.
2: Are you fucking kidding me? Antron, Kevin, and Yusuf were um, bailed out eventually, but Raymond and Corey could not afford bail. so they had to base they had to stay in jail until their trials. Um, the argument from the prosecution that they wanted to to argue during the trials was that just because we didn't get them all doesn't mean we can't get some of them. They argue there was a sixth perpetrator but they didn't catch him or possibly didn't even get a confession out of him. Going back to Lopez and Thomas, because those two did not give confessions implicating themselves at the scene of the crime. One thing the police and everyone else seemed to miss at the time, the connection from a serial rapist running rampant at the time in the Upper East Side, like we've already said, Mateo's Reyes. Um, Piece
0: of shit.
2: Pretty much. he. I
0: mean, he gets sort of a redemption arc, but still a massive piece of shit. uh Uh-huh.
2: On June 14th, 1989, this is two months
0: after? Almost exactly two months, yeah.
2: Reyes forced his way into a pregnant mother's home of three, where he raped and murdered her while her three children listened from another room. Mm -hmm. Reyes was captured on August 5th, 1989, after raping a woman in her apartment. The woman managed to escape and ran to help. Reyes' DNA was in two different case files at this time, held by one cop who was involved in both the Central Park 5 case and this rape case that he was arrested for in August. They had no DNA matching the kids to the crime, but they had Reyes's DNA in mm-hmm. this case
0: there, and yes. did not yep. let it out. His nope. DNA was found on the body of Maylee and also at the scene of the crime. Um, his semen was also found on her clothing, so blood and semen,
1: we're rape both. and rape. Yeah. yeah. Assault
0: and rape. Yeah. Check. Assault and Check. rape. So, oh. like the the tiniest little bit of detective work, even like and at that point because he was arrested in August, which is what four months later, Yeah. like the tiniest the tiniest little bit of effort, because at that point I don't think they had been convicted yet. No. Like you're just no. like oh we've never mind, whoopsie daisy, sorry kids. Well, no, at
2: that point actually. Um, Antron, Yusuf, and Raymond had been convicted. Oh, they had been convicted? Yeah, because yeah, the their trial trials... was August
1: 1990. second one was
0: December 1990.
2: No, the first trial was June 1990.
0: Well, we're still in 1989, though, right? When he was arrested. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you're right. So, yeah, they had him Sorry. for a year before the Get kids are out. convicted. And the, the tini- tiniest little bit of detective work. If I was this shit at my job, I would have been fired hey, a long time I don't, ago. And
2: it, but it could <laughs> be one of those things where they saw that. But if they had come out and said that, they would have been seen as wrong,
1: yeah, and their pride would have been down.
2: Their pride <laughs> would have gotten shot down. So, you have Reyes in custody, and mm-hmm. he's he's fucked at this point. He's oh, he, yeah. he's in prison for life. Yes. Um, so the trials for Antron Yusuf and Raymond it starts in June 1990. At the start of the trial, this is once again where it gets so like devastating. Um, Antron's father does not show up to the first court date because he just abandons his mother and him. He cannot handle it. He cannot take it. So he just leaves.
0: And he was the stepdad?
2: He was the stepdad who, but he, um, Antron adopted his last name because his real father was not in the picture. So Antron, Antron's life is just completely, like, turned upside down, you know.
0: I feel like part of that was probably also guilt. Oh, yeah. Because, like, he's the one who told Antron to tell the police that right, which I'm sure he, he probably did believe that the police were telling the truth
2: well this is the funny part police who testified at the trial denied making any promises and they denied that they saw Antron as a suspect they, d- they said basically that they were not going to use Antron as a suspect that he put himself in as a suspect and that is why he is now standing trial for the rape and attempted murder of this woman wow they said he confessed to the crime on his own Um, The trial lasted, I found two things that said it lasted six or maybe eight weeks. I don't know which one it is. And after 10 hours of deliberation from the jury, they came back with a verdict of guilty. Despite inconsistencies with confessions and the facts about the case, once again, none of them could give the exact place of the attack, the exact time of the attack, or even get what Melly was wearing during the attack. They were all three charged with first-degree assault and first-degree rape, Three charges of assault and first-degree robbery on Lawlin, Is that Loughlin?
1: Uh-huh. Mm.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, Second-degree assault of Lewis and first-degree riot. They were all three acquitted of the attempted murder and first-degree sodomy of Maley, and they were all three sentenced to five to ten years, which is the maximum sentence for youths at that time. In October of 1990, Kevin and Corey went to trial. Kevin's lawyer was not even trying to... I mean in this in Kevin's lawyer I think at this time it was just like fucked up at this point he was like I'm not going to use the fact that they tried to coerce you we're just going to say that you were in that group of boys but you didn't take part in the attack so you're kind of incriminating yeah, you're, you're backwards you're the person you're defending mm-hmm. yeah and um
0: don't you hate it when you get a it, shitty like, public defender
2: <laughs> um so on December 11th 1990 Kevin and Corey were found guilty after an 11 day deliberation from the jury Kevin was found guilty on all 13 counts. Corey on first-degree assault and first-degree sexual abuse of Maley and first-degree riot. Kevin was sentenced to five to 10 years, and Corey, since he was considered an adult, was sentenced to five to 15 years and spent his time once again at Rikers Island. Mm.
0: A um, child, which an actual child. The
2: judge who actually proceeded over the cases, yeah, was what, Galligan, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they called Rikers Island Galligan's Island because he, he, he always won. He always one and, Gall- and Rikers Island was his hub where he sent because not all of his cases I'm sure were children Yeah. Um, Kevin and Yusuf were in the same facility together while Corey was in prison his father passed away mm. um, most of them were released after serving 7 years but Corey was not released until ser- after he served 13 years Raymond said once he was released, he would spend the majority of his time in his room because it reminded him of his cell. He had problems being in large groups of people. He kind of became somewhat aggressive and, mm-hmm. like, very agitated and anxious. Um, and in 1998, because he could not get a job, Raymond was arrested for a drug offense because he got into the drug business. After Antron was released, his father came back into his life because he was already—he was, I guess, his mother and him got back together. Okay. Um, But he still did not forgive his father. And not too long after he was released, his father passed away. Um, So then it kind of gets into you have everybody out except for Corey, who is in Rikers Island. And that is where Corey is actually in Rikers Island with Mateas Reyes. Mm -hmm. And Reyes starts telling people that he committed a crime that someone else in Rikers Island is doing prison time for. They apparently got into a little fight one day and Reyes knew who Corey was, knew what he was in there for. And from what Reyes says, um, he saw he saw the sadness in Corey's eyes. And so he he just he turned into a God loving man, I guess, (laughs) and decided he needed to come clean about the crime. And so he confessed to it.
0: Here comes the redemption arc. He
2: even said that he acted alone, and there's no way the boys had seen Melee out at all that night. They were nowhere, yeah. nowhere near, nowhere around.
0: How, how funny that a convicted murderer and serial rapist, and brutal, by the way, like Mate- Matias Reyes is, was not a nice guy, but he has more integrity than the NYPD. Who, Every yeah. single officer in the NYPD at that time,
2: and I don't, I don't remember how old he was. I know he was a teenager when the, when the crimes happened, but mm-hmm. I wish he just would have had that little bit of, I don't want to fucking ruin these kids' lives, like yeah. he did, thirteen years after the fact, mm-hmm. and, and w- like I w- watched the documentary because it's so heartbreaking to see these men tell mm-hmm. their story. Mm-hmm. And when you look at them and the only one who had a second offense was Raymond. Yeah. And that's because his life was, was ruined because he went to prison and you can't, say. they all said they couldn't get jobs. Mm-hmm. They all had to register as sex offenders mm-hmm. and they just, they're so humble and they're so like, but you can see the sadness yeah. and, Everything they lost from the times that they w- weren't able to live their lives. The the family, the love, the friendships, everything that they had that was just taken away from them. And they can't get that back. And no amount of money is going to be able to make that better.
0: No, no amount of money is going to allow Corey to spend his dad's final years with him and, like, get to attend his father's funeral. Like, no amount of money is going to bring that time back. Like, they... the <sighs> Major fuck-up. Big mistake. Huge. And, like... N- <laughs> like
1: just, just admit... Like, nothing-
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. coming back
1: here with my daddy's credit card and you're not going to
0: get any of it.
2: <laughs> admit you fucked up. Yes, at stop, least admit you fucked stop up. Stop with the pride of they're guilty. Like all the articles I've read of I mean, there's even a there's there's even an officer who is black who was involved with the case who says they are guilty. So it's not just white cops saying this. There mm-hmm. is a black cop who was involved in he was not allowed to testify though. Um and he assumes because he was black it would have caused issues with the case. But there's so much against them being right about the fact that these kids did this case, that mm-hmm. these kids did this crime, and you know you fucked up. Yeah. So d- you just need to own up to the fact that you fucked up. <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> it is, it's heartbreaking how difficult it is for like law enforcement to admit when they have made a mistake because they never will. Like, if they've convicted somebody, you could show them every evidence in the world that that conviction was wrong and they will still hold on to it until the day they die. It's so frustrating.
2: I mean, I can say though, those Antron, Corey, Kevin, Yusuf, and Raymond are 10 times better individuals and people than anybody involved in this case.
0: Yep. For sure. Yep. I'll stop ranting now. <laughs> Are we going to my part? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So that I mean, basically, like Matias Reyes' confession is what got them to finally release Corey because he was already serving a 33 year prison sentence when he confessed to the crime, um, and when they went back and actually looked at the evidence, as we've kind of hinted at a little bit here before, there was actually there was a lot to tie him. To the crime, he'd committed a similar assault a couple days before. His DNA was found on the body of the jogger and at the scene. He also his semen was also found on the jogger's clothing. And unlike the unlike the five boys, he knew um, evidence or he knew details regarding the remote location of the rape in the North Woods of Central Park. So he knew exactly where it was committed. Unlike all five of the boys. And also, the way he bound Trisha Maley was consistent with the technique he had used on his other victims. So, literally, like, the tiniest little amount of detective work would have pointed the finger at this guy. Um, however, even after he confessed, he was never actually charged with this crime because the statute of limitations had expired. hmm So... Granted, he was already
1: serving 33 to life. Yeah. But that doesn't make it any better.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like,
1: what the fuck? Yeah. Five children got their entire lives mm-hmm. taken away from them, and we don't get anything.
0: Any, yeah. No, there's no, yeah. And well, as <laughs> as Katie touched on, while these, like, children were being interrogated and put in GV and put in Rikers Island, he was continuing his... Uh, rape and murder spree in New York City. Um, He violently assaulted several women even before the Central Park rape and continued to do so afterwards. He even raped his own mother the same year he committed the Central Park assault. Yeah, bad dude. He would break into women's apartments and stab the eyes out of his victims so they couldn't identify him after he raped them. Uh And he killed at least one of them. But I mean, if your eyes are stabbed out, I have a weird thing with blindness. I can't do it. Same. I have a weird thing with blindness, so like this is a bad dude who was basically like allowed to continue his vicious spree because the cops couldn't do the tiniest little bit and w- of detective work.
2: I wonder what they were thinking though when they were like, "Okay, well, we have these five kids. Why are all these women still getting raped?"
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. No one because, stopped to be yeah. like, "This is really
1: similar to because that you didn't. Lady. You it's didn't get it right." Identical.
0: Wow, weird, crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, following a lengthy investigation into the convictions, then Manhattan District Attorney Robert Morgenthau, who I'm pretty sure he was not the District Attorney when he was it not, happened, he was, he was, was brand not, new. He mm-hmm. was brand new. So he recommended in December 2002 that all charges against the Central Park Five be thrown out. And later that month, a judge set aside the verdicts. So it was, of course, denounced by police officials who were critical of the findings of Morgenthau, and hailed by criminal justice advocates who had long supported the Central Parks Mm -hmm. Five innocence for reasons that we've completely expounded upon here. Um, In his ruling, State Supreme Court Justice Charles J. Tejada said Reyes' confession corroborated by his DNA match from the crime scene created the probability that the verdict would have been more favorable to the defendants, like if this had actually been public knowledge during the case. So he, the judge did allow for a new trial against the Central Park Five, but the district office or the district attorney's office instead decided to dismiss the original indictments. So basically, dismissing the charges altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, everyone except for Corey had completed their sentences by this time, but it did lead to Corey being freed. And then in 2014, the Central Park Five actually settled a civil lawsuit against the city for $41 million. And I think they each got about $7 million after lawyer's fees and whatever. Which everybody Which is, involved
2: has said they shouldn't have gotten that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, they actually, originally
1: they sought $250 million. They cited malicious prosecution, racial discrimination, emotional distress, like they were very thorough. They went into extreme detail mm-hmm. about every single thing. They came all the way through because they're adults now. They're men. They're able to speak for themselves. Yes, prison. I'm sure raised them, so they <laughs> were able to be like, "Hey, hello, this is what happened." Mm-hmm. Like so, they originally asked for two hundred and fifty million. Mm-hmm. I'm really confused how it got
2: all the way down to forty. Yeah. Well, do you know how long it took them to actually give them that money? It took way too fucking long. And I mean, I don't think
0: they've received it yet. No, they they they
2: did. They did. Yes, they did. The documentary. They they really think that when the documentary came out in 2012, that pushed their asses to be like, we got because it's coming out again. People are talking about again. Mm -hmm. We gotta we gotta settle this. Mm -hmm. And so that's what kind of pushed their asses to that point to give them the settlement and the money. But It took so long for them to be like, "Oh, you deserve this." Hell, fucking yes, they deserve that. <laughs> well, we took your
0: child away deserved from the you. 250.
1: They, yes, yes, they, they
2: deserved
0: the two fifty. They yes, they deserved
1: it because between five and, people after taxes after lawyer fees, it's not that much. It's not.
2: And like I was telling, um, when I, I was telling Sean when I was, um, when I was watching the documentary, and like I was telling y'all, like watching them talk about themselves. If these boys committed such a horrible heinous crime at that age and they were sent to prison for it and they still think that they're guilty for it the only person who committed any infraction after they got out was Raymond
0: yeah none of them have a minor been in
1: the drug infraction None of yeah. them
2: have been involved with the laws as heavily as they mm-hmm. as they say the revolving door of once you go to prison once you go down that path mm-hmm. of being a violent criminal mm-hmm. you're gonna always be that way. Well now that's shh, out the fucking window because obviously you were wrong.
0: Oh, yeah. I feel, and like, I feel like rape has a really, one of the highest rates of recidivism. Oh,
1: definitely. So,
0: like... <laughs> Any kind
1: of aggressive or sexual crime is yeah. highest rated. Any violent or sexual crime, mm-hmm. it's like 8 out of 10 people commit the crime again.
0: Yeah. And it's not like, oh, they didn't do it because they've been in the spotlight, because essentially from, like, to, even from 2002 to 2012, most people outside of New York City weren't familiar with this mm-hmm. case. Like For sure. I don't think I heard about it until I heard about the documentary too. Same. So it's like it's not like there was a spotlight on them, so that's why they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And especially in the five years or six years between when they got out and when Corey got out, like there was plenty of time for them to do whatever, but they didn't. You know, they all were just trying to. They were rebuild. just trying exactly. literally trying to have a life. Yeah, literally just trying, trying to have a life to live. So, one of the main reasons they were able to be released is from work by the Innocence Project. And if you're not familiar with them, they are seriously one of the greatest nonprofits in the entire country. Um, and they estimate that at least 25 people later exonerated by DNA evidence were coerced. Yeah can't talk. We're coerced by police into giving false confessions. Like this is something that has been happening for a while and it it honestly still happens. Well, mm-hmm. um I was watching, I was watching a thing where this guy had his his wife was killed, and he was like, on the other side of town when it happened, came home, called the police because somebody had assaulted and killed his wife, and instead of act- actually investigating it, the police just questioned him for 16 hours until they had convinced him he was Because the whole thing wife. of, it's
2: almost always the husband or the wife or the friend mm-hmm. or the girlfriend or the boyfriend, we have to go ahead and assume it was you.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. If you were ever interrogated by the police, like all of you listeners out there, if you were ever interrogated by the police, do not tell them what you think they want to hear. It. You, they are not the good guys in that situation. Ask for a lawyer. You know, don't don't allow yourself to be in torture situations. Keep Just your innocence. Because, keep your innocence. Just because you are being inter- interrogated by the police does not mean that you are allowed to be subjugated to basically torture techniques. Uh-huh. And questioning somebody for thirteen to thirty hours is literally torture techniques. Like. Refusing to give them food or water, not even mentioning the physical assault, but refusing food, water, or like the ability to leave the room—literally torture. Do not talk to the cops unless you have a lawyer. I am dead serious. Not all cops are bad, but enough of them are. They'll like protect yourself.
2: I did a little research on false confessions and uh, coercion. I say little because it was very little, but I think you everybody could get the point. Um, mm-hmm. So. More than 12% of all overturned wrongful convictions in the U.S. in the past 30 years have involved false confessions. Um, There is a very popular technique called the Reed Technique that was um, basically discovered in 1962 by a polygraph expert, John Reed, and law professor Fred Inbaugh. It is a confrontational tactic that involves accusing the suspect of a crime. The success rate of this tactic is 85 to 90%. And it is one of the wide, widely, most widely used methods in law enforcement and the most criticized. Um, it is also legal in the United States for police to lie about evidence while interrogating people. Which is so fucked up. Exactly. It's so fucked up. And m- majority of the time, the suspects confess because they are exhausted and they have been yep. abused. And there are five coercive tactics that l- police use that they are not supposed to use. And four out of five of these tactics were used during the interrogations of Mm -hmm. the boys in the Central Park Five case. And they are depriving the the defendant of food, water, or bathroom, threats, promises of leniency, kicking, striking, or otherwise getting physical with the suspect or interrogating suspect at gunpoint. So the one that they did not do, but I'm sure they would have done, was interrogated them at at gunpoint Mm -hmm. if they felt like they actually needed to. For sure. And I wouldn't put it past them to do that at no, all
1: definitely they not. would have
2: they would have taken it probably cuz the the longer they were there because they also were not getting what they needed sleep food water they're also getting pissed off mm-hmm. so that's probably where the violence came from the violence of like hitting and and being aggressive with these young men and because they came from where they came from i really think that the they thought that it was no big deal cuz they probably were in their minds just saying they deal with this on a daily basis probably and It's, like I said, it's heartbreaking.
1: It's terrible. We will never Um, understand what it's like to be a poor person of color in custody. Yes. Like, nobody, nobody else can know that feeling. It is a completely just, like, aggressive, animalistic way of handling a human being. Let's not even start talking about the concentration camps that we currently have right now at the border. Yeah. Like, people of color just are not treated like humans, especially, I mean, in the 80s in New York, like I said earlier, when classism is at an all-time high, these poor kids from the wrong side of the subway tracks, they didn't stand a chance.
0: No.
1: They didn't. And also another thing um, that I wanted to point out earlier, since 1976, by the way, um, all prosecutors have absolute immunity that's a literal quote absolute immunity from any civil or standard lawsuit for prosecutorial misconduct even if there's evidence even if there's like hey this was unethical hey this was against your oath hey blank they have complete and total immunity
2: because prosecutors are always the ones that want to win and yep they don't want to be
1: wrong so that was decided in 1976 in the Supreme Court case Imbler versus Pachman. If you want to look it up, that's where that comes from. Um, basically, it was a similar story. They ended up like framing someone for the murder of another crime that he didn't commit. He was sentenced to death. He finally got someone to take his case. They proved him wrong, and then they sued him. They sued the whole courts, and they took it all the way to the Supreme Court, and then at Supreme Court. They were like, um, no, sorry, you were sentenced to death, but, I mean, prosecutors have immunity now, so that sucks for you. (laughs) And (laughs) even when they were asked about it, sorry, I have a hiccup, even when they were asked about it, the justices admitted that their decision left people helpless, but that prosecutors needed this to do their jobs.
2: Then do your fucking job the right way, please.
0: Yeah, just do... Yeah. It's not that hard.
2: To serve and protect whatever my ass, like, you get paid to do your fucking job. The same... Mm -hmm. Anybody out there, do your job the right fucking way. Like, same with our fucking president. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Oh, we're about to get into all the ways that Donald Trump was involved in this case. So, sweet.
0: Renee, do you have more to say? Oh, I do. Okay. I do. So, if it wasn't bad enough that five children of color had to grow up in the prison system because of lazy, racist policing, there are many lasting effects from the Central Park 5 case that ended up radically altering the U.S. prison system. So, the police, investigators, and the press dubbed the boys' actions in the park that night wilding, which I think one kid (laughs) used. But, like, one kid used this phrase and suddenly it became like a widespread. But can we pause? Wilding
1: is not what he said. No, it was not. Wilding is not what he said. No, it was not. That's what the police, I think. Literally, I'm. No, this is what happened. So, I'm from the Midwest. I wouldn't have heard that word until I went to college. I never heard that word until I went to college. (laughs) Um, I'm from Indiana. Didn't know anyone of color. So, anyways. But, so. It's, like, really commonly used in, like, rap lyrics Mm -hmm. or just in general, like, where people talk fast and they don't pronounce words. I'm one of the fastest speakers I know. I probably have accidentally said (laughs) Wylan. Like, it's just slang for, like, they were having fun. They were being crazy. They were being teenagers. They Mm -hmm. were being kids. They were wilin'. But the police, one of the officers wrote it down on the whiteboard as a direct quote. Yep letterer comes in and she's like what is wilding in her richest white voice (laughs) and then they were like oh i don't know one of the kids said that's what they were doing and then they just took it and fucking ran
0: oh yeah so two days after all of the suspects had been arrested the new york post portrayed wilding as packs of bloodthirsty teens from the tenements bursting with boredom and rage,
2: Fear-mongering.
0: roaming the streets getting kicks from an evening of ultraviolence. And soon the term became a part of the national discourse, with the newscaster Tom Brokaw describing Wilding as rampaging in wolf packs and attacking people just for the fun of it on NBC Nightly News. And Peter Jennings of ABC named it terror, plain and simple. Uh, the concept of wilding and the racist assumptions behind it made it seem plausible to law enforcement authorities and the public that black and brown boys' mischief could easily turn into violent rage.
1: When and in rape. reality, Wylan is like, I stole a 70 cent slushie from the Seven Eleven. Right. I threw a cracker out a car window. Yep. Right.
0: Like, I peed on <laughs> the side of the road. I... I Wild. ran. I ran through a park and yelled at somebody on a bicycle. Like, wow! I'm wilding. I'm wilding. I'm wilding. So, according to Pete Hamill's article in the New York Post, they were coming downtown from a world of crack, welfare, guns, <laughs> knives, indifference, and ignorance, and driven by a collective fury brimming with uh, brimming with the rippling energies of youth. They had only one goal to smash, hurt, rob, stomp, rape, which technically that's five goals, but whatever. For Hamill, wilding was an expression of class and racial hatred. The enemies were rich, the enemies were white. The implication was that wilding would destroy affluent white New York if young black and brown boys and men were not severely punished. Now, Hamill was wilding. Yeah. That's wild. That's wilding. So, and then... Because it just, the media just took this concept and ran with it. So in his definitive 1995 Weekly Standard essay, "The Coming of the Super Predators," which was the buzzword in the mid 90s, thanks Bill Clinton, John DeluLio Jr., then a politics and public, bleh, a politics and public policy professor at Princeton, say that wow. five times couldn't fast. Have picked, couldn't have picked anything else predicted that the immediate demographic shifts would unleash an army of young male predatory street criminals. These chiefly black and brown youths were, according to DeLulio, so impulsive, so remorseless, that they can kill, rape, maim without giving it a second thought. Politicians and the media seized on the super-predator idea, just as they had done with Wilden. Three months after the release of DeLulio's article, then-First Lady Hillary Clinton famously called for authorities to Bring the kinds of kids who are called super predators, no conscience, no empathy, to heal. And amid this super predator frenzy, nearly every state passed laws that made it easier to punish children as young as 13 as adults. And in some cases, sentenced them to life without the possibility of parole. Out of control. In 1998 alone, roughly 200,000 youths were put through the adult court system, and the majority of them were African American. And these practices went even further in the mid-1990s. Though Trump's 1989 call for the execution of the Central Park Five went unfulfilled, and we'll talk more about that because mm-hmm. it was seriously ridiculous, between the release of The Coming of the Super Predators in 1995 and the Supreme Court's Roper v. Simmons decision, which outlawed the death penalty for juveniles in 2005, 62% of the children placed on death row across the United States were Black or Latino as a direct result of these super predator laws by the late 1990s it became clear that delulio's super predators were not in fact coming for blood youth violence had declined not drastically increased like they all predicted it would and a number of prominent criminologists discredited his data he apologized in 2001 for any unintended consequences so you know we can forgive him
2: disgusting
0: Um, yeah exactly Consequences for the type of language DeLulio made famous became a reality in 1994 with the signing of H.R. 3355, the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act. This act, authored by current 2020 Democratic candidate Joe Biden and he was so proud of it, he referred to it as the Biden bill, instituted the three strikes and you're out policy, which ended up incarcerating thousands of people with life sentences for minor crimes. Now, to be fair, because I like to be fair, H.R. 3355 also contained um, the Violence Against Women Act, which made it a lot easier for women to report domestic violence. And yeah, that's a good thing. But when you look at the rest of the stuff in it, Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot more bad than good. Mm -hmm. For instance, one part of this crime bill stripped all Pell Grant funding for college education for prisoners, even though education is now seen as probably the most effective tool against recidivism. President Clinton championed a one-strike-you're-out policy for evicting public housing tenants if they or their guests were involved in any criminal activity, causing a massive jump in evictions and making it even more difficult for former inmates to find housing, because if you're involved in criminal activity, you can't get public housing, like, if you've been convicted of anything, basically. Um, That's literally,
1: like, literally, that is literally a Democrat president saying people of color don't get to live in houses. Yeah, exactly. That's literally Mm -hmm. what that says. Yeah. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. We will never understand what that's like. I, I mean...
0: <laughs> I tried not
1: to make this entire episode a race thing, but it's, like, literally the nastiest fucking thing I've ever it heard. Is. And it happens every single god-damned day. I'm sorry, yes. Mom. That is literally... It happens <laughs> no, every not. day.
0: It's like... <sighs> so, and... Uh, talking about? Well, if if the black people can't have homes, where can they live, Renee? I'll tell you. States and localities were incentivized through a massive infusion of federal funding to build more jails and prisons oh. and to pass so-called truth-in-sentencing laws and other punitive measures uh, that simultaneously increase the number and length of prison sentences while reducing the possibility of early release for those incarcerated. And since the bill was passed, the federal prison population has more than doubled. In 1994, the Bureau of Prisons held 95,162 inmates. And in 2012, I believe the number was 214,149. So that's almost two and a half times as much. And it probably is three times as much now because it's only increased in the past seven years. It's not an all time high. And the 1994 crime bill also accelerated the U.S. prison boom by authorizing more than $12 billion to subsidize the construction of state correctional facilities, giving priority to states that enacted these so-called truth-in-sentencing laws. Um, They require individuals to serve at least 85% of their sentences behind bars. Um, they've been shown to expand prison populations by increasing the length of stay. Mm-hmm. And by 1998, these truth in sentencing laws were in effect in 27 states, up from eight states before the passage of this crime bill. And a majority of state officials cited the federal ex- incentives as a driving force for adopting the truth and sentencing policy. Mm. Um, in the decade following the crime bill's enactment, the number of correctional facilities jumped by 20%, and the incarcerated population grew by 40% during the same period. So, so yeah, like, the media really, like, I'm, I'm a fan of a free media, but they really fucked it up this time.
1: And what really gets me is, like, I know that it wasn't, like, 1950 yeah. or anything, but it doesn't make sense to me how everyone was on the wrong side everyone everyone there were no newspapers that were like huh like mm-hmm. ma- right. i mean i'm sure there were a few small name journalists that were like should we maybe think about this mm-hmm. but no none of that got any traction no whereas today something happens and you see 10 different opinions in 30 minutes yeah exactly and well. it's, that's what's really great about like you said free media but it doesn't always work like that. Yeah. But I'm confused as to how in 1989, 1990, that wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to read a few headlines that came out um in the week after the Central Park Jogger case. Okay. So. Youths beat and rape Central Park Jogger. That was one. Another one is, it's called Wilding, and it's street slang for going berserk. That's the headline. (laughs) But what does that
0: even say about the case? Well, and it's it's a way of, like, doing this this weird, almost, like, Grecian thing of painting these, like, young black and brown youths as barbarians. And, like, Mm -hmm. oh, we're the highly intelligent, wealthy, affluent people, and these barbarians are at our gate threatening to come and break us down. Like it definitely by by using the word berserking, you're subconsciously creating a like class difference. How many
2: times do you hear that word?
0: <laughs> Me, um, as a as a person who studies history, I hear it a lot. But yeah. like okay, not in my everyday life. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> not when
2: well, you open yeah. up your newspaper, right? I yes. mean,
0: <laughs> they act like Harlem
1: is a different country. Like you can't get there right. in thirty minutes. Right. They act like you can't get there mm-hmm. in thirty minutes. They act like they don't want to brunch there. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do now. Oh, oh my god. Okay. Another one. A wolf pack's prey on a female jogger. Wolf pack. Yeah. Wolf pack. First of all, he was a one-man wolf pack, and he was a dipshit.
2: <laughs> but, they, but they kept trying to say that he didn't act alone. They said, yes, they caught him, and his and his evidence was there, and everything tied him to that. But they were saying, well, these, they were involved. They yeah. helped him. Even though, like you were saying, the track marks from where she was, you know, dragged from the trail to where her body was at. feet. Mm-hmm. It was not six teenagers at that point. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a football field,
1: isn't it? Three hundred feet is because that's a like hundred yards. About yeah, yeah. But so there would be like multiple tracks. She lost eighty percent of her blood. There would literally have to be blood oh, on yeah. at least oh, yeah. one of the kids. There had to have been. That does not make sense. So when they saw
2: Antron the next day, telling him to put the clothes on from the night before, mm-hmm. mud, where's the yes, blood? The mud, cool, right?
1: But where's the struggle? Where's the mud? Why don't you look that yeah. tired? Like, what's going on? hmm So, I don't know. Okay. And then our lovely, quote, President of the United States took out four full-page ads in all popular New York papers that cost him $85,000. Headlines saying, Bring back the death penalty. Bring back our police. Oh, yeah, because um,
0: the death penalty was not legal in New York City.
2: What does that have to York? do oh, with the they wanted 14-year-old. they wanted the, yeah, exactly. Everybody, not even Donald Trump, but I'm sure it had something to do with him. I don't think it was in anybody's heads at the time until his ads came out that they were like, "Oh, these kids need to be put to death for what they did." He because literally, at that you time imagined... everybody
0: was saying it. Can you imagine if that had actually happened and then like they would have been exonerated 12 years later? I can't from Donald Trump. I mean, Trump. He's, he still won't apologize or say anything about, oh, we're about it. To like he to still that. won't admit he's fucking he was fucking wrong. The things he says on a
1: daily basis that already don't make sense, he literally just sounds like your great grandpa at the cookout that's sitting in the corner Mm -hmm. who's like, Oh, don't mind Grandpa Jim. He doesn't know. He just talks a bunch of fucking nonsense. He says the same thing over and Mm -hmm. over and over, and then he forgets what he's saying, and then he gets red and And he he does it it. again. And then he's like, That wasn't me, America. It's (laughs) on (laughs) video. Yeah, so... Jesus. He paid $85,000 for those ads, and his ads actually ran during a time where he was receiving intense media scrutiny for his infidelities with Marla Maples, his divorce from Ivana Trump, and for his business failures, such as Trump Shuttle. So, not only do I fully believe he had no idea what was going on during this case, I fully believe that he was just trying to get the attention off of himself and all the New York papers because he was everywhere. Oh, yeah. His failures were everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, Yusuf Salam, one of the five, told Mother Jones that he believes Trump was the fire starter responsible for the backlash against the boys and their families who received consistent death threats while they were in prison.
0: I'm sure they still do. And some of them would
1: say Trump sent us. And that was literally 89, 90. Yeah. And now he's our president. So, though their names were cleared 14 years prior, in October 2016, Trump told CNN he believed they were all still guilty, despite the true rapist confession and subsequent dismissal of the boys' charges, as well as DNA exoneration.
0: Yeah, despite all of the evidence pointing to their innocence.
1: He took, he took office in January, so mm. it's fine. Thanks, America. So, and then the last thing that I wanted to say, I don't know why, for some reason, this was, like, the craziest thing to me and the thing that made me really upset. The first time I cried while I was researching this week mm-hmm. was when I saw this. So, the day after, when it hit the papers, they did not name Trisha Maley. They let her be the Central Park jogger. Yes. They left her completely anonymous. They retained her anonymity. They kept her very safe. When it came to the five, they gave out their full names, phone numbers, addresses, parents' names, parents' jobs, and ages.
0: That is literally illegal. That is literally illegal because they're minors. Like, even Corey was under 18. It's literally illegal.
2: They didn't care. And
0: I mean I obviously like, like this whole case. Um, no, they did not care about legality, but still like
2: they're yeah. children. There is a man Phone in the numbers? Um,
1: I mean, like we've been saying this entire time, classism, elitism, mm-hmm. racism. Oh yeah. And then you have quote wilding and rape in a park and you just put it all together. It has to be the black kids, right?
2: So I wanted to um Read a little excerpt from Sarah Byrne's book to end the episode. Kind of uh, talking about the day. Um, Her book is called Central Park Five A Chronicle of a City Wilding. The day it happened, Wednesday, April 19th, 1989, Raymond Santana Jr. walked over to the Taft houses in East Harlem to visit a friend. Raymond, whose family had moved to New York from Puerto Rico before he was born, lived with his father and grandmother in an apartment building on 119th Street, a few blocks north of the project. But he often hung out in the courtyard of the Taft Houses, where some of his friends lived. At 14, he was of average size about 5'6 and 130 pounds with curly hair and small features. He was well-liked at school, where his good sense of humor made him popular with the girls. Even though there were always kids playing sports around the neighborhood, especially basketball and football in local schoolyards and the decrepit project courtyards, Raymond was more interested in drawing. He took art classes and spent a lot of his free time sketching. As Raymond sat with his friend in the Taft courtyard that warm afternoon, a bunch of kids who lived there and in the surrounding buildings arrived. One of the boys in the group was Antron McCray, an exceptionally shy 15-year-old African-American from Harlem. Antron lived with his mother Linda and his stepfather Bobby McCray on 111th Street. He had adopted his stepfather's name at an early age and always considered Bobby his real father. The McCrays were devoted to their only son and were involved in his activities. Though he was a tiny 5'3 and weighed only 98 pounds, Antron was a good athlete and played shortstop on a neighborhood baseball team that his stepfather coached. They had gone to Puerto Rico together for an all-star tournament, a highlight of his little league career. Antron was enrolled in a small public school program called Career Academy where he enjoyed his social studies classes and got pretty good grades. Antron and Raymond had seen each other before since they went to different schools housed in the, within the same building but didn't know each other well. Over the next hour, the group in the Taft Courtyard grew to about 15 teenagers. Raymond and Antron joined them as they all began to wander south along Madison Avenue and then turned west onto 110th Street, heading toward Central Park. A block ahead at the corner of the park was an apartment complex called the Schumberg Plaza. The Schumburg is made up of two narrow, 35-story octop octagonal towers and behind them a large squat rectangular building the two towers sit facing the northeast entrance to central park on a traffic circle centered at the intersection of 5th avenue and 110th street they are by far the tallest buildings in the vicinity and dominate like centennials like sentinels that corner of the park Built in 1975 as a city development for middle- and low-income families, all three of the unsightly structures are constructed of beige concrete with deep grooves running vertically like scars up and down the walls. Yusuf Salam and Corey Weiss, both African-Americans, lived in the northwest tower of the Schumberg Plaza. Yusuf and Corey were good friends but could not have been more different. Yusuf was skinny and tall, nearly 6'3", even at age 15. Corey at 16 was only 5'5", and stockier. Yusuf was a talented kid. He had been accepted at LaGuardia High School of Music and Art, a highly selective public school that requires a submission of an art portfolio for admission. Yusuf, like Raymond Santana, had been drawing since he was five and was interested in jewelry making and wood sculpture. Mm-hmm. He also liked to take el- electronics apart to see how they worked and to try to put them back together. Corey, on the other hand, had had hearing problems from an early age and a learning disability that limited his achievement in school. He was in the ninth grade in April of 1989, but his reading skills were nowhere near that level. Yusuf came from a strong family. His mother, a freelance fashion designer and part-time teacher at Parsons School of Design, raised three children on her own and pushed them to succeed. Yusuf was a practicing Muslim and followed the tenets of his religion closely. But he had been kicked out of LaGuardia when a knife was found in his locker. After his expulsion, Yusuf switched schools several times. By April of 1989, his mother had placed him at Rice, a private Christian school in Harlem. She had also signed him up for the Big Brothers, Big Sisters program, which paired him up with David Nocinto, an assistant US attorney with whom he'd been spending time for the past four years. Yusuf, who was a gregarious and laid back, prided himself on having friends from all over the neighborhood. Corey Wise was also raised by a single mother, Dolores, who was pregnant in April of 1989, and he had three older brothers. Corey was a good friend to Yusuf, Fiercely loyal loyal fiercely loyal and well liked. At that time he was dating a girl named Lisa Williams, who lived with a foster family in the same Schomburg Tower. But his childhood had been especially difficult. Corey had only recently moved back in with his mother in the Schomburg Plaza. Before that, he'd been living in foster care at a group home in the Bronx. He moved there, he said, because his brothers were coming and going, and he needed a more stable environment. But Amina Carroll, a director at the Catholic foster agency that monitored Corey's case, remembered a much more troubled household. Carroll suspected that Corey's hearing problems had resulted from physical abuse, and when she tried to get him treatment, his mother refused to sign the necessary paperwork. A few years earlier, Corey had been on a trip to an amusement park where he was molested by a group leader. At 16, Corey was a gentle, emotionally stunted boy, his problems amplified by his hearing loss. Carol remembers his mother as being psychologically as well as physically abusive. Yusuf, who knew Corey's family well, remembers Mrs. Wise as an outspoken and strong woman who attended church frequently, but not as someone who was abusive. Whatever the cause, Corey's development was severely delayed, and his ability to comprehend his complicated and sometimes dangerous surroundings was woefully inadequate.
1: Literally, like, was wasn't to be supporting to a friend.
0: Yeah, but. and ended up getting the worst sentence. So, as
1: always, we would love it if you would like our Instagram, social medias, Facebook. You can find our Instagram at ConspiracyPodcastATL. Our Facebook is Podcast. And if you have any cases you want to cover or if you want to give us your thoughts, give us any feedback, you can always email us at ConspiracyPod at gmail.com. Um, We are going to be posting links in the description for the documentary, the Netflix Mm -hmm. series, and I would love to go ahead and post a link to the ACLU, because they have a whole place where you can donate to all kinds of things.
0: Yep, and we'll be posting a link to the Innocence Project as well. For sure. So, and you can also, you know, if you have a little extra coin, we always encourage, donate to the ACLU and the Innocence Project, because there are so many people who would be... Or so many of our freedoms would have been eroded if not for the ACLU. I'm convinced
1: that the ACLU is the only thing making America great again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So while everything that we talk about is pretty creepy and tragic, not everything that we talk about is this upsetting. Yes,
0: exactly. But we will see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. -bye. Like anybody, I would like to
2: live. I I I just want to do God's will. And I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Right away. Oh, yeah, um, literally he didn't waste any time at all.